Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. What does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a price to pay to follow the Christ? Obviously, from reading Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, it should be apparent to all of us that there are some things involved on our part in becoming a disciple of Jesus, in living a life acceptable in His sight. And so there are two things I want to call your attention to. The first has to do with the cross. And as we look at Matthew 16, verse 24, there is a decision called upon by our Lord to those who might potentially be His disciples. Ultimately, all of us make choices in life. And so in verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after Me. When I think about the statement, If anyone desires to come after me. One of the things that comes to my mind is that the gospel is for all and that the invitation is extended to all. God is interested in every person, irregardless of race, social standing, economic background, whatever. God is interested in every person who comprises the human family. For example, in John 3, verse 16, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world, that's the idea, if any man. Well, the gospel, the invitation, is extended unto all people. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. What about this choice, this decision that people must ultimately make with regard to whether or not they will follow the Christ? Was it not Joshua in the long ago who said, Choose you this day whom you will serve? Each and every one of us must make the decision to either follow the Christ or ignore the Son of God. And really the question is, what will we decide? Have we made the decision to follow the Son of God? Now, there's another thing that, another criterion that I think maybe we need to look at in verse 24. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The other thing that I would stress is this idea of denial, the command of Jesus. And there are some questions that maybe all of us would do well to reflect upon. Number one, are we willing to deny ourselves or are we going to serve ourselves? Think about the selfish age in which you and I live. We live in a day and time in which many people, the focus is on them. In other words, it's all about them. It's all about what they want and about their desires, their goals, their dreams, their aspirations. And so they have, in large part, forgotten 
about the Lord. Well, Jesus calls upon us to be selfless, not selfish. And so in order to follow him, one of the things that we are called upon to do is to deny self. And that's not very easy to do from time to time. But I think about Jesus and the great example that he set in this regard. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus literally left the joys of heaven. He left that association that he had with the Father from all eternity to come to a sin-cursed earth, to take upon himself human flesh, and ultimately to die for the sins of the world. Sometimes we talk about what we have to give up to follow the Christ, and maybe what we ought to do is re-examine what the Son of God gave up for us. The Bible talks about God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all. God gave his very best. Jesus gave his very best. And so it would only stand to reason that we should want to give our, our very best and that we would be called upon to deny self. But then there is another thing that I think we need to ask. Are we willing to take up the cross or will we ignore the cross? Just a moment ago, I cited Jesus as an example, but when you think about losing yourself in service to the Son of God, and we talk about laying aside our wants, our wishes, our aspirations in favor of what the Lord wants, when we emphasize the importance of taking up this cross and following the Son of God, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. When you look at the life of Paul, you see a person who literally gave up everything to follow the Son of God. In writing to the church at Philippi, he said, What things were gained to me, them I have counted loss for Christ. He went on to say, Yea, doubtless I suffer the loss of all things for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And you can read of the pedigree of the Apostle Paul. We think about his Jewish lineage and his academic standing and, and the esteem that he enjoyed among the Pharisees and on and on and on. And yet Paul said he suffered the loss of all things. Once he became a Christian, his life was focused on the cross. And you'll see Paul talking about the cross and the importance of the cross in his life. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he could say, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. He could say that we preach Christ and Him crucified. And then to the Galatians, Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul lived a cross-centered life. And I think we when we talk about taking up our cross, there are a lot of things involved in that. Look at 
look at the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go back and read in Matthew chapter 26, the Bible talks about Jesus after he had been beaten, after he had experienced a humiliating trial, and it was nothing more than a farce. The Bible says that as he left, bearing that cross, that they compelled a man by the name of Simon, a serene, to bear his cross. Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross. The cross he was bearing was our cross. But look at the suffering, the shame, the indignity that he experienced on our behalf. Look at the persecutions, the afflictions that he faced because of us. And then we think about taking up this cross. And we think about all that is involved in serving the Lord. But then there is a third question that maybe we would do well to consider. And that is, are we going to follow the Christ or will we follow the world? Look again at what Jesus said. If any man will come after me or if any man desires to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The scope is universal. God is interested. The Lord Jesus Christ is interested in all people following him. But, but note, if you would, the one in whom we are to follow. Jesus said we are to take up our cross and follow him. The quotation is, follow me. Jesus is the standard. He is the one that we are to follow. We are to constantly look to Him. Now, I said just a moment ago that we have a decision to make. There are some choices that we have to make in life. We have to decide whether or not we're going to, be, we're going to follow the Lord or are we going to follow the world. The appeal of the world is very strong. The devil knows how to use the world to his advantage. And many times he baits us through the world. Paul said on one occasion that we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest he should gain advantage over us. We need to understand the tactics of the devil. The devil is interested in subverting our faith. He's interested in cutting off our faith, stopping it before it ever begins to bud or blossom. Well, who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the Lord or will we choose to align ourselves with the world? The world is beckoning. The world is calling. Just a little while ago, we met for SOS a couple of weeks ago, we had Chris Watson come in and talk about some of the things that young people face in going away to college. And really, when young people go away to school, it begins a new chapter in their lives. And they begin to experience independence. And they have to decide, are they going to stay true and loyal to the Son of God, or are they going to follow the world? Are they going to choose to follow that path that Jesus described as the broad road? That broad road that ultimately leads to destruction. The first thing 
that we need to think about is the cross. The second thing is the cost. And really there are some demands placed upon us as God's people. The first thing that I would call your attention to is our duty. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, there are two words that I think underscore this verse, courage and conviction. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. One of the things that was characteristic in the first century was persecution. Jesus faced a number of foes during his day. The Jews were against him by and large. John tells us he came to his own and his own received him not. Later, after Jesus died, ascended back to heaven, we can read of the work of the early saints in the infancy and growth of the New Testament church. And they faced a lot of opposition. They faced innumerable foes. And to a certain extent, they had to make some decisions. You see, when you look at the Roman Empire... There were those who were extremely bloodthirsty from the vantage point of being the emperor. For example, for example, Nero Caesar or Domitian who reigned in the latter part of the first century. Domitian wanted people to address him as Lord and God. Imagine if you can, first century disciples, those who made the choice to follow the Lord. Imagine if you can... Those people being put to the test. You can renounce the Christ and live. Or you can hold firm to your conviction, but you're going to die. How would you have responded? We can read in Acts chapter 12 of James being put to death by Herod. In Acts chapter 7, we read of Stephen being put to death. And the Bible says that they laid their garments at the feet of a man named Saul. Saul had a part in persecuting New Testament Christians. But Jesus here is saying that those who desire to save their life, he said they'll lose it. But those who lose their life for his sake will find it. Jesus talked about persecution and the fact that those who would become his disciples will experience it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul said, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, at verse 12, and you can look at the life of Paul and you'll see the innumerable persecutions and afflictions that he encountered for the cause of Jesus Christ. Read sometimes 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And so, in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, two things stand out. Number one, we have to be people of courage. And number two, we have to be people of conviction. One of the things that I think we have to do with young people is move them from the point where they have assimilated facts. In other words, they've taken facts from the Bible. And they've taken those, those facts, internalized them, and made them faith. 
They've made them a part of who they are. They have conviction, rock-solid conviction. We want our young people to believe in what the Bible says. We want them to believe in the Christ. We want them to believe in the church of Christ, to believe in the validity of the Bible. We want them to have rock-solid conviction so that no one can move them from the things that they believe so that they know what they believe and they know why they believe it. Peter said that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts always. We are to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Maybe you know a lot of facts about the Bible. But the question is, are those facts real in your life? Have you moved from the point of facts to faith? The Hebrew writer talks about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen as yet. Do we have that kind of faith? The kind of faith that is rock solid. But then also, note if you would the dilemma. In verse 26, Jesus asked this question. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? How much is your soul worth? If you had to put a monetary value on your soul, how much would your soul be worth? Did you know that there are some things inherent in the Bible that can help us to keep our spiritual lives, our soul, if you please, in check or in balance? Think about in the corporate world for just a moment. In the corporate world, many times auditors will come in. And there are internal and external audits that are done in a corporate setting. And they do so to make sure that the books balance. What they're trying to do is make sure that they're not losing maybe their physical assets. Or maybe they're trying to, to keep a bead on their monetary assets. And so they have internal and external audits that will take place over a period of time. Well, you and I, we need to understand that there are some things internally that can protect us, and there are some things ex externally that can also protect us. And by that, I simply mean they can help to keep our spiritual lives in order. Now, you might ask the question, how so? Well, Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? When you and I live in the world, when you and I go about our daily business in the world and we think about the bombardment of media and all of the things that are going on around us, it's easy for us to lose our perspective, to lose sight of what's important versus what is not important. It's easy for us to get our values misconstrued. Think about in in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul talks about those who were minding earthly things in contrast to those dedicated saints of whom he said, our citizenship is in heaven. 
Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so from an internal, from an internal perspective, what are some protectives? Number one, the Scriptures. You will never go wrong spending time in God's Word. I can promise you that. Every minute of every hour, of every day, of every month, of every year that you spend studying this book, you will grow closer to God. You will solidify your faith. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This book right here can help to keep us on track in life. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp under my my feet and a light under my pathway. Think about the power of God's word in our lives. And then also, supplications. And by that, we're talking about prayer. How important is prayer in the life of a Christian? Paul said that we ought to pray without ceasing. Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint in Luke 18 at verse 1. The more time we spend on our knees in prayer to God, the better our spiritual lives will be, the closer we will be to the Lord. Now we talk about protecting our souls. We emphasize trying to maintain a sense of values in this world. Well, one way to do that is through Scripture. Another way is by supplications or by prayers. A third way is through service. Being involved in the work of Almighty God. Many times we use the expression, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Sometimes individuals that are having spiritual problems, individuals who are critical, if you please, of the work of the church, one of the reasons is they have not found something to do in the kingdom of God. They've got too much free time on their hands. And so there's the need for every person to be involved in the work of the church. Let me just ask this question. If you were to take a survey, would you say you are full-time in the kingdom of God? Are you full-time in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you part-time in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, you're either full-time or part-time. The only other option is You have no time for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're either full-time, part-time, or no time. If you were to fill out a survey right now, and you were to check a box, what box would you check? If we're busy in the kingdom of God, it's going to help keep us grounded. It's going to help help us maintain 
spiritual values. And so, some things that internally will protect us. But then there are some external things that will protect our spiritual lives. What are those external things? Number one, our associations. In Genesis chapter 4 at verse 9, Cain asked this question. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it not the case that you and I have a responsibility to one another? After all, we are in this thing together. We are said to be people of like precious faith. Paul talks about how we are brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, there should be genuine concern for one another. If I see that you're hurting, if I see that you need help, if I see that there's something that I can do for you to render aid to you, then I should want to do that. Because after all, as I said a moment ago, we're all in this thing together. The associations that we keep will help to keep our feet firmly planted in the Word of God. Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil companionship corrupts good morals. We're not interested in running with the devil's crowd. If you run with the devil's crowd, then obviously you're going to begin to think like the devil and act like the devil. So we want to make sure that our associations are the kind that God would approve of. And then another thing by way of external protectives, what about our activities? What about what we do for recreation? What about the places that we frequent? What about our hobbies? The various activities that we engage in on a daily basis will have a lot to say about whether or not we maintain a core sense of values. And so what kind of activities are you involved in? Listen again to what Jesus asked. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I said a moment ago that in the corporate world, auditors will come in and they will begin to audit the books. And they may audit the books from an internal perspective and from an external perspective the goal is that ultimately the books will balance there's coming a day in which you and I are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and the question is will our lives balance out before the Son of God now Jesus said you can gain the world you can put your focus on the world and you can live for the world and you can deny me or you can lose yourself in service to me and you can focus your life on me and you can live for me day in and day out and in so doing, you'll enjoy heaven. What does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, a cross is involved. Number two, a cost is involved. And so I guess the question is, are you and I willing to pay the price to follow the Christ? 
there's a price that must be paid. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. There's nothing cheap about it. But I can assure you this. If you choose to live the Christian life, it's the best way to live on earth. It's the most satisfying way to live because ultimately it will end in reward. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, Be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Are you living for Jesus Christ? Have you paid the price to follow the Christ? If not, why not come to Him now? Did you know that Jesus Christ is interested in you, individually speaking? The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. If you're here tonight and you're not a member of the Lord's church, why not come to Christ? Why not do as they did on Pentecost Day when Peter commanded to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins? Every sin washed away, Acts 2, 38. Be a member of the Lord's church, Acts 2, verse 47. Enjoy every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Live faithfully and enjoy the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.